This is Entrepreneurs The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs The Playbook, and I have a double David episode here with my favorite donut shop in the entire world. I grew up in Akron, Ohio, so I was one of the first people to get exposed to Krispy Kremes. When they came out to California, everybody was super excited. I was like, what's the big deal? They've been there since I was born. Uh, Dave Skeen is the global chief brand officer of Krispy Kremes, and he shares the same mindset, heart set, and handset that I do. Welcome to the playbook. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. I'm really looking forward to talking with you and, and sharing a little with your, your audience. Well, you know, talk about the best of the best is hyper competitive when it comes to donuts. They're not really a new technology, um, but yet some companies have a really difficult time providing quality service and quality product when it comes to donuts. And as far as I'm concerned, Krispy Kreme does the best at both. Give me some of the foundational principles or values and I know foundationally that's what it takes in order to effectuate being the best of the best when it comes to quality service and quality product. I think one of the, the reasons people really still love Krispy Kreme after all these years, and they think of it as sort of the OG, not original glaze, but also the, the OG of donuts is, is because of the way we're made. And it, and I think a lot of your audience will resonate with them. We're very authentic. People tell us, oh, it's authentic. It's sincere. Why? Well, how many, uh, how many companies of any product that you've ever seen show you the entire manufacturing process right before your eyes? From the time you mix the, the dough to the time you put the dough in the proofer to you know, make it rise, to watching it fry, to glazing it, to going in your mouth. There's, and we put a giant window up so everyone can see it. There's no slate of hand here. It's the real deal. And you know, in this world, I think you know, things are getting so processed and commoditized and I just think you can kind of lose that analog touch of authenticity. We still have it. And so um, we certainly think of ourselves as a retro brand because we think the world needs this kind of thing now more than ever. But from a product perspective, that's kind of pretty old school where you're willing to show everybody everything you do every day, all the time. And a lot of it's still done by hand. And a lot of it's still done the same way we've done it for many years. And then on the experience side and the values, <laughs> we, we are blessed. I had to say, Dave, we are blessed. Very few people, maybe no people, come into Krispy Kreme angry, right? Like, like they know, <laughs> like you've made the decision to make your day better at that point. Like it happened before they got into the parking lot. And, and even if they're having a rough day or whatever, so they did it for a break, they're happier when they leave. So um, we know that we're that part of people's day and you don't want to mess that up in the experience. And, and honestly, we, you know, we have a lower bar than some in trying to make it ha happy because they, they come in happy and they typically leave happy. You almost have to work hard to mess that up. And we try not to do that. Um, we definitely try not to do that. And we try, try to have values of service that um, are around generosity, you know, sampling of these hot, fresh donuts. I mean, people do think it's insane that we do that. I mean, what idiot gives your prized possession away for free when you walk in the door? Like, I, no, <laughs> I, I do. Actually, you gave me your book. Yes, yeah, it's exactly. Cream and David Melser, and that's kind of the end of it. But like, it's a rare thing to be people to be so oddly generous in in today's world. It's a zag, and uh, I think that's that's sort of that's our heart. Yeah, and that heart uh, filters itself through everything that you do, personally and professionally. 
Um, and to get into a position of being a global uh, brand marketer like yourself, you usually have gone through some of the more traditional businesses uh, mm -hmm. and worked in more traditional types of opportunities as a manager, executive, and move your way up. And that's certainly true of your career from your education on with your MBA and uh, from an esteemed college as well. Uh, I will give all the kudos in the world to Northwestern when it comes to academic uh, prowess, but I hold this true on the football field. I'm still a Buckeye at heart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> although my favorite guard for the Chargers went to like, yeah. <laughs> my favorite uh, Slayer uh, went to uh, Northwestern. But to the the you know learning from learning the light, the love, and the lessons from our experience. Uh, it seems to me as you came on in 2018 into a new global branding marketing world with very traditional academics, traditional experience, we had to somehow have a perspective and participate in a new perspective as successful executives in order to transcend the last five years. I would tell you that as a marketer myself, what we do today didn't exist five years ago. And I know what we're doing today won't exist five years from now um, mm -hmm. and that we're going to have to be adaptable more than ever. What are some of the uh, traditional pragmatic things that you've learned that you have adapted to this unbelievable opportunity when it comes to social media amplification and perpetuation of content? Yeah. Am I, uh, you know, 20 plus years in marketing. I mean, I've been lucky. I did have a good education. And then I went to Kraft, which was like a master class. And they were known as an academy company. They taught you a lot, CPG. And then I went to PepsiCo and at Frito-Lay. And, you know, I heard um, your podcast uh, recently with Brett. And, and like, so, you know, that machine is what it's capable of. And it's, it's amazing. So I had all these incredible learning experiences as a lot of, of folks do. And some of the things I did gain, so just performance analysis, performance analysis, and also maybe performance analysis. So it's fun to make the Super Bowl ads and it's fun to do those. And I think that's great. And, and, and jetting off to get creative awards is really cool. And I'd love to do more of it and all that, but it's got to work. It's got to work hard. It's got to you know sell product. And, and that may seem like a pretty basic thing for people to expect of marketing, except sometimes people lose their way a little bit. and. Um, can't do that. So I think I learned that from those places. You know, when you learn how to do everything really well, then you know when you have a time, a smaller budget and so on, what corners you can sort of safely like cut off. Like maybe you don't need this many rounds of product testing. Maybe you don't need that, you know, and you use your experience to kind of allow you to go faster. Um, I think that's been really great. Now, when I got the Krispy Kreme, like you said, all bets are off, right? The pace we move at is a, a lot a lot quicker in the sense that there's a lot more activity done on a much smaller budget. And, and what I learned uh, along the way is social media for me is, has been pretty effective, provably quantitatively effective for me. It makes targeting a lot easier. Um, and it, it, if something doesn't work, you stop it. And then you just lean in harder to your other assets and you can just be so nimble with it. But what I think a lot of folks in the space don't always do is, is we measure every campaign we do. I mean, every three, four weeks, we're measuring, did it work? Did it not work? What do we do different? Do we A, B it? Do we do a dropout market? Do we do a hold? We're doing all that so we can constantly improve because we definitely don't have the hubris to think that we've got it figured out. And then whenever a new thing comes along, and it wasn't long ago when TikTok was new, 
you try it out. You try it in the market, you see what works. If it works, you do more of it. And if you don't, so I think this sort of notion of constant tinkering, evaluating, um, and, and moving on and not getting stuck in your ways is important. I mean, 10 years ago, I would have said, if you ever do anything but national cable, you know, you're, you're an idiot. And that's not yeah. how the world works anymore. And it won't work that way, like you said, in five years. And I don't know what's next, but um, I hope I remain flexible enough to try it. Yeah, I really enjoy the fact that years ago, representing announcers and analysts uh, that sat on the biggest shows, especially in sports, now they're coming back to me after I was representing them. They're asking me, how did you get such a big brand? Uh, and the nice thing is, you know, I have to give you credit, Dave, as well, because I looked at brands that I most identified with. And like I said, as a child was completely uh, overwhelmed with joy every time I passed by in Fairlawn uh, by Akron, Ohio. One of the oldest Krispy Kreme sits there. And uh, anytime my grandfather took me there, I'm emotionally attached to your brand. And I said, okay, Dave Meltzer is like the Krispy Kreme brand. He lives his life by kindness and generosity. If they're on TikTok, Dave Meltzer should be on TikTok too. If they're on YouTube, I better start paying attention to YouTube because if Krispy Kremes can be there, so can I. And it's really worked for me uh, as a mirroring strategy. But it's amazing as I look back as well, the impact that a brand can have on my life. And like you said, we've had Pepsi and Frito-Lay and all the great CMOs and CEOs of the world on here. But there is an emotional impact and a philanthropic impact that we can have when we have these extraordinary brands like the one that you lead. Um, for you, how important is the impact of your brand on society more than just selling fresh uh, donuts and coming up with new ideas? Well, the question is, um, you know, in all humility, remembering that we're a donut company, you know, we're not curing cancer, we're not, you know, solving good governance across the world. Like we, we're not, we know what we are. We're, we're an indulgence and something that can make people's day, but we're, we're, we recognize what the brand is and what it can mean. But, you know, it's those small things in life. Um, it's those small things that make each day and those days together that turn into weeks and months. And, and uh, there's this trend right now on TikTok we've been observing, you know, called glimmers and glimmers are the opposite of triggers. You know, people trigger and it, all this toxic vitriol on politics and stuff. And there's this sort of count. It's all, it's all like trying to unify people, trying to think about kindness and generosity without some sort of expectation of something beyond that is almost countercultural at this point. And it's a zag and it actually becomes a point of distinction. And um, it's been something that um, we realized, wow, maybe we do have a role to play. And when we, when the pandemic hit, that was the exact question. You would have been so proud of us, David. That was the exact question we asked ourselves. Okay. Like, what role can we play in this? And um, our role was to share joy. You know, almost an overwhelming majority of the donuts purchased at Krispy Kreme are given to somebody who didn't purchase them. They're shared. Overwhelming majority. That is bizarre. Do you, and if you do this, I want to be your friend. Like if you That's buy cool. cars and give 11 away, like, like get me on your list, right? <laughs> like I'd like to be on that list. Nobody does that. Nobody does that except for us. There are very few products that exist that way where people use the product. You know, we're not the hero of the story. We're the tool through which other people are the heroes of the story. And they can use us as a means to express their part and their generosity. And in the pandemic, we decided, well, we would demonstrate that shared value by 
giving away mass quantities of donuts with no expectation of anything in return. So from doctor's day to nurse's day, eight weeks, we said, we love our healthcare workers. Anybody with any health badge of any sort, just come in and ask for whatever you want. What? Yeah, just whatever you want. No charge, no sign up. Don't give us your email. Just here's all the donuts you want. And there were people who came in and took 50 dozens for no charge at all. And a crazy thing happened by the end of that is that people would come in and they would buy, they would get a couple dozen for free and they'd ask to buy other dozens. And the days of the week that we weren't giving them away, we did this on Mondays, our sales went through the roof. And I think it's because there's, there is an unspoken, uh, not talked about much in the media need out there for people to connect and for people to feel like there's, you know, to borrow some, some line from some movie, I'm sure, but there's still good in this world. And it's like, it's worth, it's worth looking for and it's worth hanging on to. And, uh, and that was our, that was our role in the pandemic. And we did it with grad days when we gave all seniors. Now we've done it every year, a free dozen donuts. That's like, what is 16 buck value for free? No strings attached. And we keep trying to show generosity. And we found it's such a cliche, but the more you, you know, the more you give, people generally re reward you in the long run because they remember it. They remember, they remember kindness. Yeah, they certainly do. And I wrote a book called Connected to Goodness, which is the book I gave you. I actually oh. bought back from the publisher because they wouldn't let me give it away. And I paid for those books. I shipped them for free. I signed them. Uh, and it's amazing. The more books I give away, even though I'm probably the most public person on every video, email me, I'll give you a free book. I'll sign it, send it to you, pay for shipping. More people buy it every year. <laughs> and even though they know I can give it away whenever they want, they want to buy it for their friends. And so uh, it absolutely works. I want to finish with a different type of quantitative analysis. And you and I both have been stuck uh, in the traditional and in the new world of trying to figure out analytics and figure out true quantitative analysis of what impact did this uh, marketing have on the bottom line. And there's always a big struggle between the sales executives and the marketing executives of where this money's being spent and how it's effectuated uh, the bottom line. I use time as a variable and it's dependent because everyone works within the context of time. But I found it fascinating that you were the first company that ever used love as a quantitative measurement, that you actually look year to year annually and analyze, do more people love us or adore us today than they did last year? Uh, what are some of those metrics? Because I will tell you as someone who is in that community of people that buy from you and sell for you, in other words, I love the company, the values, and the product, uh, except for on my mid-waist uh, probably sometimes, but I'll just work it off. Uh, more importantly, how do you see that quantitative measurement of actually love and adoration uh, in order to improve your business? Well, first, you know, for your, for your audience to know and for my CFO, if he's listening, uh, we do use all the regular metrics too. So yeah, right. <laughs> frequency, penetration, <laughs> overall satisfaction. Hey, quick call after this interview. What yeah. the heck did you say? <laughs> Dude, all that, yeah, yeah. But the reason we look at love is because all those other metrics are measures of performance, measures of functional performance. Love is a measure of intimacy. And, and, and that carries the longest. Your, to your point, you know, they say sales overnight, brand over time, that old saw. But the brand over time is determined by intimacy. So who's the better 
who is the better customer for Krispy Kreme in the long run? The person who stops by for a donut on their way to work, say 10 times a year, or the person who drives four hours each way to get it twice a year and bring 10 dozens home. I mean, if you, if you look at, if you look at statistics, you can lose sight of the intensity of liking for the brand. It's that intensity of liking for the brand that creates evangelism for the brand that creates zealous zealots for the brand. People who want to engage and communicate and talk about your brand. And so love, which we measure in every, every country uh, in which we operate, uh, almost every country, we open new markets. It's not right away, but um, almost every country we operate in, and we know, we measure it for ourselves, but we also measure it versus all CPG competitors that are in all retail competitors. We want to be the most loved sweet treat brand in the world. And the reason we look at that is because it is highly correlated to the long-term brand health, which does correlate to sales over time. But it's also the people here want to, we know we have something special and brand love is a way to make sure and measuring quantitatively brand love is a way to make sure you're not messing up the something special. That's sort of dust on the butterfly wing that makes Krispy Kreme the special company that you remember from Akron that you think about with your grandfather, because you know, if you take someone who's never been there today in LA, they will remember that experience. And, and I'm certainly not going to be the marketer that messes that up. And I don't think any of my successors or anyone on my team wants to be that person. And so love is a weird way to talk about it to some people, but to us, it's just the means through which we express depth of care for the brand, depth of sharing values. Sharing donuts as well. I have that takeaway from this interview. It is the most shared product in the world. It is also one of the most given away products uh, as well in proof of quality and quantity and value, uh, which is the backbone of this company uh, with great values and led by great leaders with great values. An extraordinary leader, an intelligent follower, full of love, generosity, and kindness. Davis Skeena sure lives up to the expectation that I had for one of my most loved brands the global chief brand officer of Krispy Kreme. It's been an honor. Please promise me that you'll come on other one of my shows. We need to share more of your philosophies of how to build a community of people that sell for you and buy from you because they love you. Uh, thank you for joining me. This is David Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.